time for re-engineering your finances with the founder of CP Weldy Group, Charles Weldy. Welcome once again to Re-Engineering Your Finances. Walter here alongside Charles Weldy, founder, certified financial planner at CP Weldy Group. You know, on the last show, we talked about all sorts of different financial debates. One in particular brought up a good point where Charles was kind of telling us about, you know, hey, it used to be this way or the school of thought used to be this, but it's not anymore. And so that gives rise to today's show where we're going to expand on some more ways in which retirement planning. Oh, I don't know if we want to use the word easier, but we could perhaps. It maybe was easier in past generations, but certainly we can look at how there are some additional challenges in today's world of financial and retirement planning. Maybe things that our parents and grandparents didn't have to face when they were planning for their later years in life. And so we're going to see how sometimes, you know, if we just rely on the past experiences of family members, it might leave us coming up a little bit short in terms of achieving our financial success. So today's topic is why retirement planning ain't what it used to be. Charles, you ready to go for this one? Absolutely, Walter. All right, we've got five ways in which retirement planning is kind of a different ball game, five different areas of the planning world. And you know where we're going first, Charles. We're, we're talking about pensions because no doubt about it, they're much rarer now, and Social Security is really the only retirement income stream that many people have. So why does that make things so much more difficult if that's the reality that we face today? Well, I would start with what I call the income gap, uh, Walter. The income gap is like, hey, what do you need per month? You know, and I'm going to use an example so people can follow it. Let's just say you need 7,500 bucks a month. Forget about income taxes. You just need $7,500 because that's what you're spending. And let's just say that, you know, you have a $4,500 uh, a month social security benefit. You're married. You're getting like, you know, X and your spouse is getting Y. So you have an income gap of 75 minus 45, $3,000 a month. You need to make that $3,000 a month up. Maybe in the past, somebody had a pension. They didn't have to worry about it. But today, most people do not have pensions and they have to fund the, you know, that, that next leg of their retirement. And if you do the math, like 3,000 a month times 12 months is 36,000 a year. And, you know, for, you know, purposes of this podcast, I'm just going to use a withdrawal rate of four and a half percent. You know, you, you probably heard like, hey, you know, 4% is the old rule. Some people are saying three is a new rule. I'm going to use four and a half because it's my podcast, all right? And I feel comfortable with four and a half percent. So my point is that if somebody needed 36000 a year and I divided that by four and a half percent, that would mean they need a pile of money that would equal $800,000, all right? So $800,000 at four and a half percent a year would give you $36,000 a year pretty much for the rest of your life, right? However, what that doesn't account for is inflation, all right? So if we factor inflation in there, you don't need 800 grand, you need a little over a million. So my point is that- But, but Charles, we never have to worry about inflation, right? Uh, no, I just filled my car up. I only got a 20-gallon <laughs> tank, and it was like $94. Oh, right? yeah. And normally, it's like 52 or something like that. So, you know, inflation's rearing its ugly head uh, at 8.5% as we speak. You know, it's probably not going to be sustainable forever, obviously. But, you know, when it reverts back to the norm, it's probably going to be north of 3 probably somewhere around 4%. And what people don't realize when you retire 25, 30 year retirement, you know, at treadline inflation of 4%, your purchasing power is diminished by 60%. That means that million dollars that you had only buys $400,000 worth of goods and services. So that's a real big issue when you retire is, hey, you don't have a pension. You only have your social security. You have this nest egg and the nest egg has to create rising income to cover rising living expenses. 
Great point there, Charles, and uh, one that we should certainly remember and, and keep in mind of how retirement planning ain't what it used to be. Those pensions don't just take care of us kind of automatically like they used to. Something that kind of goes hand in hand with that, another reality of retirement planning today, life expectancies. It's a good thing. They're longer. You know, we're living a longer time. That's not bad. Uh, but we have more years of retirement to fund. Big time difference from what it used to be, right? Yeah, obviously. So, I mean, if you retire at 65 and you pass away at 70, retirement planning is not difficult whatsoever. All right. But today, if you live well beyond age 90, all right, it's a lot more challenging. And that's like a 25 to 30 year retirement. You got what they call longevity risk. And longevity risk is a risk multiplier. What I mean by that, Walter, is that, you know, the longer you live, the greater inflation, market volatility, taxes, healthcare costs all come into play. So, you know, the reality of it is, is, you know, you really need to uh, have a plan and the plan has to be properly funded. And the plan really needs to last like 20, 25, 30 years in retirement because today with life expectancies, um, I don't know the latest chart I read, but if you're a married couple, average age 65, I think there's like um, maybe a 5% chance that one of these is going to live to age 95. So uh, you might say a 95% chance I'm not going to make it. But if you're the 5% that makes it and you're running out of money, you know, before you run out of air, that's a problem. Yeah, we don't want to get into a situation like that. No doubt about that. Interest rates are lower, even though they're higher than they were recently. They're still overall kind of lower. So you can't make money with savings accounts, money markets, and CDs, at least not the double-digit percentages that maybe previous generations could rely on. Correct. Let's go back to the income gap that we talked about earlier. Let's just say that you have an annual income gap of 36000 which means you need 3000 a month, right? Now, if you had a bucket load of money and a safe uh, rate of return, let's say is 3%, uh, you'd have to like tie up $1.2 million of your investments at 3% to generate $36,000 of income. Do you follow that concept? Yep, I'm following. All right. Now, maybe a better alternative may be, and again, everybody's different, but here's the way my brain works, is I might say, you know what? They need $36,000 a year for the next 10 years. I'm going to carve out three hundred and sixty grand. i am going to put it in this very conservative investment. And I know that, you know, for the most part, $3,000 a month is going to come out of there like clockwork for at least 10 years because I got $360,000 in that account and it can't go down in value. Right. That gives me permission to put the remaining $840,000 in another investment earmarked for growth so that at a future date, I can replenish that conservative bucket of 360 grand when it runs out. And, uh, you know, uh, I can make a higher return, you know, with less risk because I just bought myself a long term time horizon. So, you know, I, I get that interest rates are lower. And as we speak, they're going up. They're probably not going to go up tremendously, but, you know, the reality of it is if you have inflation of eight and you're making like 3% of your investments, the reality of it is you're losing 5% a year in purchasing power. And, and you really need a mix of, you know, conservative investments to provide that steady income stream. And then if you get that number right, it gives you permission to put the remaining funds in a later bucket to generate growth to replenish that soon bucket and also to uh, provide for a legacy for the family. All right, Charles, we've knocked through some good examples of why retirement planning ain't what it used to be. Pensions, no longer the main thrust of retirement planning, life expectancies longer, and the interest rate problem. How about this? All the information that's available at our fingertips seems like a good thing on the surface compared to previous generations, but 
it can be counterproductive for some people. They get that uh, paralysis by analysis, I've heard it termed. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt, Walter, well, there's information overload today. I mean, what I try to tell people is like, hey, let's stick to basics, all right? Let's 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 really like, you know, keep it simple. Uh, let's really have a liquidity bucket, you know, of money. How much do you need for emergencies? What do you need for, you know, next year? Is there a wedding plan? Is there a, a car purchase? Uh, is there an improvement to the home that needs to be made? Let's get that money off the table, put it in a checking savings account. Yeah, we're not going to make little or, or no interest, but the key is the money's there. It's safe. It's liquid. And, you know, it's earmarked for, you know, some event coming in the near future. So if people stick to that, stick to the basics, hey, I got a liquidity bucket. Then, as we just mentioned earlier, you have to have a conservative bucket for income. I mean, in the example I gave, $360,000, that's going to make sure that, hey, you know what, like clockwork, I got 3000 a month for the next 10 years coming out. It's probably very tax efficient as long as it's not an IRA. So I'm, I'm covering that base with it. And it gives me permission to, you know, maybe put the remaining funds in a later bucket for, you know, for future growth. And really the key is when you really look at it from that approach, hey, what do I need for liquidity purposes? What do I need for income? Uh, and what do I need for growth? That really will dictate your stock bond allocation. And for most people, they, I hear people like, oh, you know, I don't know whether I should be active, you know, managed or passively managed. I don't know if I should buy index funds or evidence-based funds. It's like, whatever. Forget about all that. What's really important is how much of your money do you have in fixed income and how much of your money do you have in stock? And if history's any guide, the more money you have in stock, you know, the higher your account balance will be over time. You know, with the information overload, it's like, you know, Bitcoin. I, I don't even understand it and I, and I never will because I choose not to even learn about it. You know, I just stick to the basics. Like, you know, if you need growth, it's in stocks. If you need income, it's in some fixed income that you're giving up a potential return for the future. But if you get the number right, you know, it can be replenished over time. So I agree paralysis uh, by analysis. There's quite a few people that I meet and it's like, hey, let me think about it. You know, let me, you know, what are you thinking about? Like the longer you wait, the longer you delay, you know, the, you know, the, the problem's not going to be solved. And I really believe in my heart that the process that we have here at the CP Weldy Group, the bucket planning process, coupled with the tax management journey, will not only help you uh, avoid being a market watcher and a performance chaser, but it also make your investments a lot more tax efficient. And there's been studies proven that when your investments are more tax efficient, the monies last three to five years longer. All right, Charles, one more example here, and that would be about volatility. And what do you think about this sentiment? If retirement planning ain't what it used to be, volatility in the stock market may be more and more pronounced with each passing year. Yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely um, a lot of volatility today. I mean, there's like we talked about in the... Um, previous uh, segment, uh, information overload. I mean, today, well, let's just look at the past. In the past, if you needed a stock, you went to a stockbroker. If you needed like a CD, you went to the bank. If you needed an insurance policy, you went to an insurance agent. Today, you can go to any one of those three and get whatever you want. I mean, it's the, the industry is like really consolidated where everybody's offering everything, right? Uh, so there's a lot of volatility because um, you know, the information is out there on the internet and, you know, you, you just look at your, your computer screen. If it's red, the market's down. If it's green, the market's up. And I really believe that, you know, there's a guy by the name of Nick Murray that I've, you know, read, you know, throughout my career and I really believe in his philosophy. He says short term unknowable, long term inevitable. 
And the reality of it is, is the volatility in the stock market is really necessary uh, because without that volatility, you wouldn't get that premium return. We talked earlier about stocks uh, will you know, give you a higher return than fixed income. And the reason being is they're generally a lot more volatile than fixed income is. I would just say that the problem today is like most investors, you know, are performance based, right? Uh, like, you know, what are we talking about? Now we're in June of 2022 and uh, the market's down, you know, it, well, so far this year, it's been in bear market territory. It's been down uh, over 20%. Now I think it's down about 18 year to date. But my point is that, you know, volatility is normal, right? Uh, volatility works both ways. If something's down 15%, that's volatile. If something's up 15%, that's volatile too. But historically, the market is up three out of four years historically. So, you know, uh, if it's down 15%, like in calendar year 2022, the year to date, and people are calling me, and they're not, but if people were to call me, oh, you know, this is, it's very volatile. No, it's been volatile the last three years too, but it's been volatile the opposite direction. So the point I want to make is volatility is nothing to be afraid of. It's something to be embraced because it's the volatility that gets you the premium return. And in order to get your emotions out of your thinking, you know, and, and that and our emotions make us, you know, really like make bad decisions. You really have to allocate your investments in categories of like, hey, when will the money be needed? You know, and if the money's not going to be needed for a long period of time, and I and I really say a long period of time in my world is 10 years or more, as a general rule, that money should be in equities because equities will give you the premium return. And even during those 10 years when that money's invested and whether it's up 30 or down 30, in theory, you really don't have to worry about it because even if you're retired, as we talked about earlier, you had that soon bucket with that conservative income that's coming in every every month, you know, and, and it's allowing that later bucket to grow. So volatility in, in, in essence can be your friend, not your foe. So I would, I would just hope that people would start to embrace volatility and know that that's really the, uh, that's really necessary in order to get the premium return. Don't shy away from volatility. Just know that, uh, volatility works both ways. It's the opposite side of the same coin. It can be, 15% up volatility, 15% down volatility. But, you know, over a period of time, five years, 10 years, you know, you're going to get a premium return based upon history, if history's any guide. So, you know, it is more volatile today, I agree, only because people are watching it more. And if they had a plan and, you know, they kind of just like let that money sit for 10 years, I think they'd be mildly surprised at the end of 10 years, like, you know what, I made, you know, twice as much as I did in the fixed income portion. I'm glad I had a plan. I'm not going to listen to the news anymore. I'm not going to get in an elevator that soars or plunges. I'm just going to get in an elevator that goes up and down. I like that. Makes a lot of sense, Charles. And again, if you've got questions for Charles, want to talk about putting together a financial plan that is comprehensive, that's tax efficient, and that makes the most out of the dollars that you've spent a lifetime accumulating, uh, reach out to Charles, set up that time to visit. You can start with a phone call, 610-388-7705, 610-388-7705, or online at cpweldygroup.com. More information for you there, and you can get in touch through the site. Uh, very easy to get in touch, have that conversation, come in for more if you want to discuss further. Uh, Charles, thank you for all of the help, and we'll look forward to chatting with you again on another episode next month. Thank you, Walter. Appreciate it. All right. We appreciate it. That's Charles Weldy here on Reengineering Your Finances. If you've got a question for him, don't hesitate to reach out. And we'll see everybody next time right back here on the show. Thanks for listening.
Financial planning and advisory services are offered through Prosperity Capital Advisors, PCA, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Registration as an investment advisor does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The CP Weldy Group and PCA are separate non-affiliated entities. PCA does not provide tax or legal advice.